Good evening, church. So wonderful to have everyone out this evening. We know that the weather, as explained by Roy a little bit earlier, it's a little damp outside, but hopefully our spirits and what we talked about in class this morning, our attitudes are in the right place, and we all are here because we have a desire to be here. So I thank you for being here. If we have any guests with us this evening, you're also very honored to have you as well, and we're thankful for your presence, and we hope that you can be with us each and every time the doors are open. I want to thank Lowell for his song leaving this evening, and I want to thank Brother Nicholson for that beautiful prayer. It's always a wonder and a joy to hear heartfelt expressions going up to God when we come to this building and when we are also in each other's presence. This evening for a few minutes, I wanted to discuss one of our little-known characters of the Bible. I find it interesting sometimes to take some text from that so we can get an idea of just some of the things that God is speaking of. Uh, before we get to that character and we get to our text for this evening, I want to ask you a question. How many of us have a bucket list? Raise your hand. That seems to be a very common phrase and a common idea, especially over the last generation. Uh, if you don't know what a bucket list is, let me explain real quickly. It it's typically is the idea that most people have a set of ideas or certain things that they want to accomplish before they pass on. Uh, some people have an idea that they probably want to do something simple like travel abroad before they die. Uh, some other people have an idea that maybe they want to add another grandchild to their entire family and have them named after them before they die. Uh, some people want to get rich before they pass on. I don't know how accomplishable that is, but maybe somebody has that on their bucket list. Uh, typically, people have on their things that they feel like that they really want to accomplish something that they really feel like they need to get done because if they leave this earth and they haven't accomplished this, then maybe they've lived their life in vain. So I don't know if you have a bucket list. I don't have one. Uh, I know that last week, Ruth and I took a minute to go away. And while we were out there, we did uh, a zip line. Maybe you've done that as well. Uh, it wasn't uh, as exciting as I heard from other people, uh, but we did it. So if I had a bucket list, and if Ruth has a bucket list, we can check that off. Uh, and we find it necessary to have bucket lists sometimes because, again, some people feel like their lives would be lived in vain if they don't get to that point. Let me put that in context with you for our lesson this evening. If you turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2, that little known character, that little spoken on character uh, that I'm talking about is Simeon. Uh, he happens to be one of my favorites. And you might think that that's odd since the Bible does not expressly speak of him more than this case. But I believe by the end of the lesson, hopefully he will be one of your favorite biblical characters as well once we have a chance to highlight some of the things that he is speaking of. I want to focus on verses 25 through 35. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And the Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I want to take our title for this lesson straight from verse number 34, destined for the rise and fall of many, destined for the rise and fall of many. The reason why I've chosen this title and this text this evening is because of that bucket list. I believe that there are many things that we aspire to do before we die. But there's only one real important thing that we should have on any list that we're making as an accomplishment before we pass. And I believe that we should see in Simeon some of the stuff that should be in a Christian today on this time side of the cross. The Bible talks about that Simeon was, we can understand, an older man. The pivotal thing about him was that he apparently he had lived a life that he was declared as being just and devout. The same basic understanding we get from Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And I want you to notice in verse 25, the Bible says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I took the time to look up the term consolation as we use it today. Most of the time we hear the term consolation when it comes to sports. A consolation would be a secondary prize if you didn't get to make it to the true championship. Most of us are probably familiar with that. But the Bible is using the term consolation here in a different characteristic. In other words, the Bible is using the term consolation as it applies to an attempt to comfort someone who is in sorrow. So we might ask the question, why was Israel in sorrow? Well, the answer would be the same. It's why the world is in sorrow today. It's because of what Charles prayed about. We're lost in sin. When we are lost in sin, the only answer that we can have is God Almighty. And the answer that God Almighty had before the beginning of the world was to send his son to Calvary's cross, to shed his precious blood, that he might make a way for you and I to be saved. That's our consolation. That's also our hope. We ought to be so enamored with the fact that God loved us so much that he allowed for us to make a way out of sin into salvation for the saving of our souls. If there is to be any consolation, if there is to be any goal in this life, we should aspire to be like Simeon in some ways. And we should anxiously await all the answers of what God has for this life so that we might be redeemed. If you keep reading through the text, I find there to be some other interesting pieces. For example, he says in verse 31 that God had prepared this consolation before the face of all peoples, that this consolation was going to be a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for the people of Israel. And I want you to notice the reaction of Joseph and Mary. The Bible says they marveled at these things. Oftentimes think of sometimes why as Christians we don't marvel more at the word of God. 
Why are we not just excited and overjoyed when we hear the will of God, when we realize that God, while we were yet in sin, God sent his son to die for us, that we don't have to taste death, a spiritual death, but we can have the joy of knowing that we can be in heaven for an eternity with all of the righteous. We ought to marvel at the things that we find in the Bible. I really want to focus on verse 34 this evening. With all of what the Bible tells us about Simeon and all of the things that it doesn't tell us about Simeon, it does say in verse 34 that Simeon blessed the parents of Jesus. And when I say parent, we know that we're talking about the earthly parents. And he said to Mary, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against. In verse 35 in particular, talking to Mary, he says, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. If I'm going to break this lesson down, I'm going to use those last three points to give us our meat for this evening. And as we look through these points, I want you to take into concept and in your mind, what would you marvel at if these words were spoken to you? What would you find important about this message of this, this apparently elderly man that, that, that was sitting there at the temple and you didn't know him before this time and he came up to you with this prophetic statement saying that what you have, this, this maybe 40-day-old child, is not just simply a child, but he's the son of God. That he is destined for the rise and the fall of many. And I wonder how many times have we thought about our own lives and how we also have been destined for the rise and fall of many. Let's look at point number one, if you don't mind. That first point comes again in verse 34, that Jesus was destined to cause division. Ever thought about that? That, that, that people don't always understand the full mission of Jesus the Christ. Yes, he came down. Yes, he hung on Calvary's cross. Yes, he uh, bled his precious blood so that we might be redeemed from sin. But do we also get that Jesus came to cause division? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that your life and my life, when we come into Christianity, when we come in the full knowledge of grace, that our lives will separate people? We don't have to think about that. But I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34, the Bible says of Jesus, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Brother Nicholson, that, that when I came to this earth, when God, my father, allowed me to come to this earth and he gave me the spirit of truth, which I was going to utter, I was going to speak only the things that he had given me utterance, that it would cause a division between those who wanted to be righteous and those who didn't care to be righteous. When we think about the present world that we live in, don't we realize that we still have the same world today? That every person we meet, Christine, some people are going to listen to the truth and some people are going to reject the truth. Now, now what ends up happening for a lot of us is that maybe we don't always tell people the truth of God because we already know it's going to cause division. We, go, we, we know it's going, somehow someone's going away, it's going, to, it's going to brand and bake relationships and nobody wants to be a breaker of relationships. But we have to remember that Jesus is our example. 
He is the one who, who footsteps we ought to be desired to walk in. And if God was going to allow his son Jesus the Christ to be a divider of men, then we should also be dividers of men. In your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. And let's hear this prophecy. God taught through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 14. The Bible says he will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Look at what God's son was going to do. When he came to this earth and he would speak the truth, he spoke parables so that those that would hear would listen and understand. He spoke parables also for those that didn't want to hear, wouldn't understand, and it would cause division. Men argued about who he was, and he told them, I'm the son of God. People argued about his mission, and he told them, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Many people argued over who he was, but all they had to do was just simply listen. The unfortunate thing, Doretha, was when people listened, there were some that believed, and there were some that disbelieved. How could you call yourself the son of the living God? How could you blaspheme like that? There were some people that just simply did not want to hear what the Father in heaven had said about it. Turn in Psalms chapter 22. Psalms chapter 22. And let's look at verses 6. And eight. Psalm 22, starting in verse number six. The Bible says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Y'all remember Jesus on the cross? Remember how they ridicule our Lord? He saved many others. Why don't you save yourself? When we have the knowledge of the concept and the understanding of God, a lot of people are going to ridicule you. They're going to be sitting up there saying, why is it that you think you believe and that you think you have the truth of God? Doesn't everybody have the truth of God? They simply leave it at that God loves us and he sent his son to die for us. Isn't that all we need to know? There's way more to it. And I wish people would understand that God has a greater message, a fuller message that is able to save everyone's soul. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. When God is going to send his son to make sure that he divides those that desire to follow him and those that will fight against it. Peter records in verse 7 of 1 Peter 2. Therefore, to you who believe... He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stumbling block, excuse me, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. God's will is not hard to understand. God's desire for man to be saved is not hard to contemplate. But because of the hardness of your heart, y'all remember Jesus teaching that in Matthew 19, because of the hardness of your heart, this is why your ears are deaf. You don't want to do 
what God is asking you to do. Therefore, you won't have the will of God. Our second point this evening is also just as simple. Not only would Jesus come causing division among the people, but Jesus was also destined to change the lives of many. How many of us in this room this evening can say that I am definitely a different person because of Jesus? Would you be able to testify to that? And I'm not talking about it in a denominational way, but you would be able to open up the pages of Scripture and let anybody know that I've been redeemed and therefore I've changed. Ben, I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. I can't be. I'm not even the same person I was 10 years ago. I can't afford to be. To be truthful about the matter is I shouldn't even be the same person I was 10 days ago. Because Jesus is the Lord of my life. He, he demands that I grow in the grace and the knowledge of him. Personified before men. So that God will receive the glory and the honor that he is due. The only way I can do that is to change my life and to be more like Jesus. Even though Jesus changed the lives of every person who's ever lived on the face of this planet. I believe there's one particular person that he truly, truly, truly influenced the greatest. Y'all remember Simeon talked to the two parents? There was Joseph and there was Mary. I believe the greatest impact that Jesus had in many of us earthly, and again, I can't prove this, I'm just saying this from my own standpoint, is his earthly mother, Mary. Can you imagine sitting there, and here's this older gentleman sitting up there giving you a prophetic notion saying that your child is special. He's different. And can you imagine the mother of Jesus on this earth as he grew day after day, month after month, year after year, looking at that child and realizing there's something different about this child. I think God is beautiful in the way he treats us and deals with us. After we leave Luke chapter two, we notice that there's about a 18 year period that we have no idea what's going on with Jesus. But we know that he grew in stature and favor with God and man, right? And during that time, Mary was there, Joseph was there, his brothers and sisters were there, according to Mark chapter 13, verse 40. They were all there present. And can you imagine Mary sitting up there wondering, what child is this? And what does God have in store for not only him, but for us? The Bible says in John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27, that as a mother, this would have been very impressing upon her as her child hung on that cross. The Bible says in verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Look at the love and the cherishing from a human side that Jesus did for his mother at the end of his earthly life. We don't know what all occurred before then, but we realize there was a bond between mother and son. And there was a stronghold that he had that he made sure that before he left this earth, she was taken care of physically in this world. If we go back to Luke chapter 2, I want you to notice again what Simeon told Mary. If we go back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 34, 
The Bible says, Then Simeon blessed them and, and, excuse me, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which we be spoken against. The verse 35 is definitely something that I believe was pointed specifically at the mother of Jesus the Christ. He says, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. A sword will pierce through your own own soul also. Can you imagine and, and always know that there's a special bond between mothers and children that, that men, we men will never understand. We, I, I don't care how many times our wives or our daughters or our mothers or our sisters, aunts, whatever the case may be, will tell us about the birthing process and about the child rearing process, about the nurturing process. We don't get it, do we men? And I don't believe we're meant to get it solely, purposefully. That's the beautiful difference between a man and a woman that God has allowed us. But as we try as hard as we can to listen to that relationship, it is a beautiful, connected type of thing. And, and, I, and I wonder, and I can't even imagine, I can't even start to imagine, here was Mary who had this child. And for some 30 years, you watched him grow and you watched him do supernatural things. Y'all remember in John chapter 2? where Mary came and just simply said, they're out of wine. Y'all remember Jesus' response? It's not my time yet. But y'all see what the son did? He went ahead and made the wine. What we infer from that, or at least we should be able to infer from that, was Jesus was a good son. He, he was a loyal and obedient son first and foremost to his father, which was in heaven, but also to this woman that we know as Mary because she had asked him to do something without asking him to do something. Y'all know how mothers are. Sometimes they'll just sit there a bin and they'll point to the trash. We're supposed to read their minds and go take that trash out, right? Same thing here, I believe, in my own opinion. Here was Jesus and his mother was making a request and he did that. So what that means to me, from the time we leave that temple at age 12 to the time he starts his earthly ministry, his mother do something about him. Or she wouldn't have made that request. She had seen him do things that defied all logic. This is why in Luke chapter 2, she marveled at what this man Simeon was talking about, her son, her possibly 40-day-old son. How could this child? Well, if we back up in John chapter 1, we know that this was a special child. According to Matthew chapter 1, we realized that this child was going to be different. That we knew his name was going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. But maybe that didn't fully sink in. But when these miracles began to go about, I believe the Bible is clear. Mary realized her son was very different. This leads us to Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, where Mary and the other Mary had ran to the tomb on the first day of the week. On the third day that Jesus had prophesied that he would be raised up. And we came to that empty grave. An angel was sitting there and saying, why do you look for the living among the dead? Can you imagine Mary's heart just being excited? And maybe she really still didn't fully get the information. We don't know. The Bible does record it. That she didn't really get my son is the Christ. But here's what we do know. According to Acts chapter 1, verse 14, before we get to that day of Pentecost, that Mary was among the disciples in that upper room. So we realize that she fully, finally believed. 
and trusted in God. Not only was he her son by physical birth, but he was also our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our last point here this evening, and I hope it's just as simple, that not only Jesus would be destined to cause division, Jesus would be destined to change the lives of many, especially his mother Mary, but Jesus was also destined to reveal the true nature of every man's heart. When Jesus came to this earth and he spoke the things that he heard from his father to tell him to speak, it tore at the heart of men. And the reason it tore at the heart of men because he taught truth. And it made you look at yourself. And, it, and you had to figure out, am I where I need to be with God or am I lacking somewhere? Y'all remember in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? And Nicodemus revealed to him that only you could have come from God. Because only you are able to do the works of our Father which is in heaven. You are different. You must be the Christ. And if you are the Christ, then you have all truth. Nicodemus listened. And Jesus told him he must be born of the water and of the spirit if he wanted to be saved, if he wanted to be a part of God's kingdom. Look at John chapter 8, and let's continue to look at the truth that Jesus spoke. Remember and keep in mind that many, many people who were challenged with the truth of God could not handle that Jesus spoke these words to them. Starting in John chapter 8, verse 42, the Bible says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Watch what he says here, because you are not able to listen to my word. Why can't you listen? Because you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Look at that convicting statement. When we stand before our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and our brothers and sisters, our earthly families to any degree, and we have to look them in the eyes and say, you're not listening to God. That's a hard conversation. It causes division. It could be a record of relationships. But the way we have to look at that is to realize that the only reason I'm saying this is because I want to reveal, just like Jesus did, what's in your heart. Because I want you to be saved. Jesus taught in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man cometh to the Father but by him. That's still true today. It was true then, it's still true today. And it's always going to be true. And in John chapter 15, he speaks these words starting in verse 22. John 15 starting in verse 22. The Bible says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. What did Jesus do? He brought us the truth. 
What did it do to you and I? It divided us. What is that division going to do? Well, one day in the judgment, it's going to cause some to go to the left and some to go to the right. Jesus did not come to this earth to be anybody's pal, to be anybody's buddy. And this is what Simeon said that day that his mother and father came to the temple. The thing that I think is most prevalent in that is that if I understand this correctly and I'm using the text as it was meant to be, this also means like today that you and I also are destined for the rise and fall of many. Well, what does that mean, Archie? Well, that means we're going to meet people on a daily basis. And if we love them and we love their souls and we want to see them in heaven, and if we want to see ourselves in heaven, we have to make a decision. Are we going to tell them the truth? Are we going to tell them a lie? And it might seem easy that Simeon being his age and, and realizing that God had promised him that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's consolation. You might be saying to yourself, well, if I'm that old, it's easy to tell truth to people because nobody gets mad at an old person, right? But people do. And it's not that they get mad at an old person. It's not that they get mad at what you're saying specifically. They get mad because they realize that they're lost in sin. And what we have to do, brothers and sisters, is we have to realize that I'm only doing this because this is the pattern of righteousness that God has given me. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. The Bible says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. What is Paul teaching here? He's teaching us that as a Christian, there's not going to be a bed of roses. As a matter of fact, to walk the Christian walk, there's going to be plenty of times where you're going to be challenged in the division that the truth divides and teaches for you and me. The majority of people the Bible teaches is not going to adhere to the truth. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, few there be that find it. People say they want the truth, but you and I realize most people don't. I'm not saying that they're lying, brothers and sisters. I'm just simply saying most of us on the face of the planet, we want to do what's right. But when it comes right down to it, sometimes we won't. But for the Christian, we have to realize that God is measuring our hearts all the time. And he's asking us, do you want to go to heaven? And if you do, here's how you go. There is no other pattern. There is no other way. I wish there was sometimes, but I didn't write the rules. And neither did any of us. The only things that we can do is follow the pattern. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. 
Do you want to have peace in your life? I do. But I'm going to tell you, like Charles prayed earlier, it's a struggle every day. And it's not easy. And I believe that this is the reason why most people walk away. I don't have a bucket list. And I started at this point. And I want you to think about it. If you have a bucket list or if you don't. If you don't have a bucket list, then maybe suggest that all of us should have a bucket list. But there only should be one thing on it. And that one thing on it is that we should all strive to go to heaven. And obviously we can't complete that bucket list before we die, can we? But that ought to be in our bucket. And it should be the only thing on our list. Because I believe that's the only thing worth really truly fighting for. Was Simeon comforted? The Bible says he was. The Bible says that he now could proclaim that he could die in peace. I don't know of anyone here this evening, if I know you as well as I think I know most people in this auditorium, that wouldn't want to die in peace. Now, I'm not saying that the way we might die a physical death in this world might be peaceful. What I'm saying is our mindset, we ought to be at peace with our Lord. And as a Christian, the only way that we can be at peace with our Lord is to make sure that my heart is right and my actions are right. Every moment and every time I have an opportunity to do so. This is why at the end of every sermon, at the, every, at the end of every lesson, and I appreciate Sister Doretha so much. She said, even on Wednesday nights, I believe that we should come together and we should have an invitation. I think that's a great idea. I think we need to think about that. And why? Because when we assemble, every Christian is challenged with the fact that is your heart right with God? Are you in the right relationship where you need to be? Will you walk out of this place or never even leave this building? We all know about that, right? Some people have never left this building and you've passed on to the next life. Would it be a life of bliss in eternity with God and all of the host of the godly? Or would it be somewhere else? Y'all remember in Luke 16 when that rich man died? The Bible says he was in torment. I don't wish that upon anybody. And as the old folks would say sometimes, Christine, I don't wish that on my worst enemy. And I hope we're sincere about that. Do you have a bucket list? I want you to think about it. I want you to add one more thing to it. To have your heart, to have my heart, to have everyone that we know heart right with God before they die. If you don't have a bucket list, then I'm going to encourage you like myself, and I'm going to encourage my wife to do this also. Let's have a bucket list and let's put one thing on it. Let's make it our life goal to be with God in heaven for an eternity. In order for that to happen, I have to first and foremost be in the right relationship with God. And the Bible teaches us that he sent his son to Calvary's cross so that we might be redeemed by his precious blood. Ephesians 1, 7. The only way that we're going to realize that that blood has any power to save in our lives is that we must believe that he is the one that was sent on that mission. Simeon had been endowed with the Holy Spirit and he realized that that baby that he held in his hands was the Christ. We can't hold a baby this evening, not Jesus the Christ as a baby, but we can hold that image in our mind and we can realize that that child grew up and he got about the age of 30 or 31 or 32 or 33, however you count time from that standpoint. It doesn't matter what his age was. We realize that while he was here, he paved the way of salvation for you and for me. And I've got to trust that with all my heart. I've got to realize that there's no salvation in any other name given by men under heaven where men might be saved other than the name of Jesus the Christ. 
And when I realize that and I put all my eggs in that one basket, then I've got to turn my life around. And I've got to say to everybody that I know, formally and presently, I'm no longer going to be a slave of sin. I'm going to be a slave of righteousness. I claim Jesus as Lord of my life. And then I go down to that watery grave of baptism where I give up my sinful self. I die to my sinful self so that I can be raised in newness of life, having a new life, a brand new change. One that now walks and talks and thinks and acts like Jesus. What a beautiful life. I think that's what Simeon saw. I think that's ultimately what Mary understood. I believe Joseph, that earthly father, stood and, under, and understood completely by the time he had passed on as well. I believe that Jesus' earthly brothers and sisters, by the time they quit doubting him, they realized he is the Christ. He is the one. And I believe there are still people today that want to go down in that grave of baptism and have their sins washed away, and they want to be added to the body of the saved. I really do. If that's your desire, you can do that this evening. If you're a Christian, you've already done that. But for some odd reason, life has gotten a little bit tough, and I know it can. It happens to me, and I believe it happens to everybody. When we're challenged in our flesh, and sometimes we say the wrong things, we think wrong things, we do wrong things, we also have to make that relationship right with Jesus. I hope everybody here this evening, before we walk out of this room, that we're where we need to be. I would hate to lose any friend. I would hate to lose any brother or sister in Christ because we didn't take the time to think that God is serious about his business and that he once winked at sin, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Whatever it is that is on your heart this evening, let's make it right tonight. And let's do that now as we stand and sing the invitation song.